Welcome to Skim This. Since season three of COVID dropped a couple weeks ago, we found ourselves with a ton of questions about how we're supposed to behave. So we asked a doctor what to do if you find out you've tested positive, plus the do's and don'ts of quarantining. If you're out in public and you find out that you're positive, as soon as you can, put your mask on and go home. You need to isolate. Although recently, plenty of people have been struggling to even get tested. We've got updates from President Biden's announcement this week on his plans to re-up the federal government's response to the pandemic. We're going to continue to use the Defense Production Act, as we did earlier this month, to make sure we're producing as many tests and as quickly as possible. But we promise this show isn't all doom and gloom. We've got our top picks for what to watch, read, or listen to, for if you're isolating, or if you're just planning to spend a lot of time on the couch over the next few days. And we've got the latest updates on all the other news you need to know, from the end of the Kellogg's worker strike to another pause on federal student loan payments. We're here to make you smarter and the news less overwhelming. I'm Alex Carr. Let's skim this. Before we get into the rest of our show this week, we got word as we were publishing that a Minneapolis jury has reached a decision in former police officer Kim Potter's trial. In April, Potter, who was a member of the police force for 26 years, pulled over a 20-year-old black man, Dante Wright, for an expired registration sticker and an air freshener hanging from his rearview mirror. Wright tried to run away, and Potter threatened to taser him, but instead used her gun and fatally shot Wright. We, the jury, on the charge of manslaughter in the first degree. Today, a jury found Potter guilty of first and second degree manslaughter. Find the defendant guilty. Potter now faces a maximum of 15 years behind bars, and her sentencing is set for February 18th. All right, let's get to some headlines from the week's news and give you some context on why they matter. First up, Kellogg's workers ending their 11-week-long strike Here's what you need to know. Back in early October, over a thousand Kellogg's workers in four states went on strike. The reason? The pandemic made working conditions a lot worse. Employees often took on 12-hour shifts seven days a week. Not to mention, the company had a two-tier system for wages and benefits for anyone who worked there since 2015, which newer employees didn't love. Earlier this month, after workers rejected a proposal from Kellogg's, Kellogg stirred the pot and said it was opening applications for permanent jobs to replace striking workers. Enter Gen Z Redditors, who crashed Kellogg's hiring site with fake job applications. And even President Biden said, hey, Kellogg's, not cool. But after months of tensions between workers and Kellogg's, this week, workers finally ended the strike after the union signed a new five-year deal with the cereal maker. Under the new agreement, wages for new employees have been adjusted for the cost of living, and Kellogg's changed the two-tier system so that any worker who'd been at the factory for more than four years can access better benefits and wages. This Kellogg's deal wraps up a big year for collective bargaining, as workers from Nabisco factories to film crews have all stood up to their employers and demanded better working conditions. Even Starbucks employees are looking to get in on the action, as a Starbucks in Buffalo, New York voted to unionize, and a few other Starbucks shops look like they might follow suit. So it's not surprising that some experts are now saying 2022 might be the year we start seeing unions coming back big time. Okay, next headline. Now, only a fraction of the pandemic relief funds have been distributed, but nearly $100 billion has been stolen. Here's what happened. 
This week, the Secret Service said that almost $100 billion in pandemic relief aid, aka money that was meant to help small businesses and people who lost their jobs, was stolen. If you didn't know, this is one of the other things the Secret Service does, besides guarding the president. They investigate financial crimes like counterfeiting and fraud. By one estimate, $100 billion is about what it would cost the government to give every American one rapid test a day and two KN95 masks a week for six months, plus a course of antiviral treatment for every infected person. So the stolen money was no small chunk of change. But how did this happen? The Labor Department said individuals and groups committed fraud to gain access to unemployment insurance and loans that they weren't eligible for. Now, the Secret Service is trying to recoup those funds. And while it's only managed to get a couple billion dollars back so far, it says it still has 900 cases it's actively investigating. Next up. The pandemic has pushed U.S. population growth to its lowest rate since the country's founding. The Census Bureau reports fewer than 400,000 people were added in the 12 months ending in July. There are a few reasons this is happening. First, even though it feels like you can't stop seeing baby pics on Instagram, the fertility rate has been declining as most people are choosing not to have babies. Plus, the U.S.'s population is getting older, meaning the mortality rate has gone up. And when you add in the COVID-19 pandemic, where more people are dying and fewer people are immigrating to the U.S., you get a really low rate of population growth. So why does this matter? Population growth has a big impact on the labor force, as fewer Americans can fill jobs and pay taxes, which a lot of programs like Social Security and Medicare rely on. Our next headline this week is a quick PSA. President Biden is extending the pause on student loan repayments. Here's the context. After the Biden administration announced federal student loan payments were set to resume in February, a lot of people, including some Democratic lawmakers, said, wait a second, what's the rush? And the White House seems to have heard that outcry because yesterday they said, let's hit pause on those repayments again, at least until May 1st. And our final headline this week. The FDA has given emergency use authorization to Pfizer's COVID antiviral pill Paxlovid. Pfizer's COVID-19 treatment pill is the first oral drug infected people can take at home to try to reduce the risk that they get seriously sick. Data shows the pill can cut hospitalizations and death by almost 90%, and it's expected to work against Omicron too. This authorization means that doctors can now prescribe the medicine to high-risk patients over 12. We asked Dr. Amber D'Souza, an epidemiologist at Johns Hopkins School of Public Health, how this easy-to-take pill could change the game in the fight against the pandemic. As we continue in this pandemic, there have been things that have given us hope. And having good treatments that we can take to reduce the severity of illness is something we've really needed. We know that vaccination decreases how severe COVID illness is, but some people can still be sick. And of course, we have people who are unvaccinated. So what the new treatment by Pfizer does is it's another tool that is available to us that really seems to be very promising in reducing severity of illness, but it does have to be taken somewhat early before people are very ill. So far, the U.S. has purchased 10 million courses of the treatment, but only around 250,000 will be available in January, since it takes at least half a year to manufacture them. 
So it could take a while before people can actually get a prescription. And before we publish the show, the FDA also approved a second, less effective oral COVID-19 treatment from the drug maker Merck. But the regulatory agency said, let's have caution around this one. This pill should not be a preferred COVID treatment and should only be given out to certain high-risk adults. This week, the CDC announced that the Omicron variant now accounts for almost three out of four new COVID cases in the United States. As a reminder, this variant is thought to be way more transmissible than previous COVID strains, including the OG strain and Delta. Now, cases are spiking throughout the country, particularly in some major urban areas like New York City, where the vibe is less holiday cheer and more March 2020 2.0. That probably explains why your group chat has been blowing up with friends saying they've tested positive. Especially since we're also seeing more breakthrough cases because Omicron evades vaccines better than previous strains. How much less protected are we? Pfizer and Moderna vaccines are currently thought to be around 30 to 40% effective at preventing infection from Omicron. Though we should note, early studies show vaccines, and particularly boosters, still provide significant protection against hospitalization and death. But the World Health Organization did warn that we shouldn't assume Omicron is milder and as a result, not dangerous. This week, the first American died from the variant in Texas. So far, individual cities and states are reinstating mask mandates, and some are even offering cash bonuses to people who get boosted. But a lot of people have been asking what can be done nationwide to get this under control. On Tuesday, President Biden said message received and outlined a new strategy for how the U.S. plans to fight Omicron. Though the first part of that strategy sounds pretty familiar. Get vaccinated now. It's free. It's convenient. I promise you it saves lives. Get your booster shot. Wear a mask. Biden also announced some new things the federal government will be rolling out as caseloads continue to rise, including making getting a COVID test a lot easier, which in a lot of places has been a huge pain these past few days. We're going to continue to use the Defense Production Act, as we did earlier this month, to make sure we're producing as many tests and as quickly as possible. I'm announcing today the federal government will purchase one half billion that's not million, billion with a B, additional at-home rapid tests with delivery starting in January. We'll be getting these tests to Americans for free. And we'll have websites where you can get them delivered to your home. Starting next month, private insurance will also cover cover at-home testing. So you can order a test online and get reimbursed. We're providing access to free at-home tests for those who may have insurance as well, may not have insurance, I should say, as well. We should point out, at-home test delivery already exists in some other European countries, including the United Kingdom. And the details of this at-home delivery in the U.S. are still being worked out, but Biden said we can expect those websites to be up and running next month. Still, a lot of people can't wait until January to get a test, but apparently there's a plan for that, too. Starting this week, The federal government will set up emergency testing sites in areas that need additional testing capacity. 
Before Christmas, the first several of these federal testing sites will be up and running in New York City, with many more to come. This free testing is going to help reduce the waiting lines. Besides focusing on testing, Team Biden is also preparing hospitals for what's coming, especially as millions of unvaccinated Americans are still at greater risk of getting sick. My administration has stockpiled and prepositioned millions of gowns, gloves, masks, and ventilators. We call it PPP. We're ready to send them immediately to any state that needs more. In addition, I've directed the Pentagon to mobilize an additional 1,000 troops to be deployed to help staff local hospitals and expand capacity. Some of those troops have already touched down in places like Wisconsin and Indiana to help. As for the other big questions on our minds, like will March 2022 basically just be March 2022? President Biden said, not so fast. Are we going back to March 2020? That's what I keep getting asked. The answer is absolutely no. No. There are three big differences between then and now. Number one, first one, more than 200 million Americans have been fully vaccinated. In March 2020, no one was fully vaccinated. Over 200 million Americans should have a peace of mind that they did not have in March of 2020. They're protected from hospitalization and they're protected from death. Second point, we're prepared today for what's coming. In March of 2020, we were not ready. Today, we stockpiled enough gowns, masks, and ventilators to deal with the surge of hospitalizations among the unvaccinated. Number three, we know a lot more today than we did back in March of 2020. For example, last year, we thought the only way to keep your children safe was to close, your, close our schools. Today, we know more and we have more resources to keep those schools open. We should all be concerned about Omicron, but not panicked. And no, this is not March of 2020. 200 million people are fully vaccinated. We're prepared. We know more. We just have to stay focused. Okay, let's get real for a second. A lot of us have either tested positive ourselves or know people who've tested positive in the past few days. And while the White House has a plan moving forward, a lot of people are dealing with a positive COVID-19 result for the first time right now. So we spoke with Dr. Lippy Roy, a medical director at Housing Works in New York. And we asked her, after you get a positive test, what exactly happens next? If you're out in public and you find out that you're positive, as soon as you can, put your mask on and go home. You need to isolate. So what does that mean? That means staying at home, not around anyone else. If you live in a house with other people, then you need to wear a mask and be physically distanced from them. That means at least six feet. According to the CDC, that isolation period is 10 days long from either your first positive test or the day after you first had symptoms. Now, a lot of us live with our roommates or our families, and living in total isolation is almost impossible. But there are ways we can keep the people who live with us safe. Mask yourself, and with high-quality masks, 
if you have access to a KN95 or an N95, that's very, very protective against the transmission of the virus from person to person. And also, if you're able to keep windows open, keeping air circulation, good ventilation, all of those measures will protect you from other people and protect others from you. Certain members of your household may need to take extra precautions. If you're worried about other people, especially vulnerable people, older people, people with chronic illnesses, people who have compromised immune systems, or children who are not eligible to be vaccinated, all of these people need to be protected. So they may also need to wear a mask as well. Once you start isolating, it's time to take out your cell phone. If for anybody who's positive and they know that they came in contact with people over the previous one to three days or longer, they definitely should keep a careful track of who they came in contact with and contact again being less than six feet. You should call or text friends or family members you saw recently, letting them know you're positive and that they should get tested too. A good rule of thumb is anyone you saw five days prior to your COVID test or sooner. And Dr. Roy said, if you took an at-home rapid test, it's also important to tell your public health department because those departments are relying on individual self-reporting to update their positive case numbers. Then, while you're in isolation, keep an eye on your symptoms and try to stick to a routine to keep yourself as healthy as possible. Drink plenty of fluids, eat regular meals, eat healthy meals, stay active and mentally healthy as much as possible. Don't panic should you develop symptoms. And again, it's kind of like flu-like, the typical respiratory symptoms like fatigue, body aches, headaches, fevers, chills. Should you develop any of those symptoms, plenty of rest, plenty of fluids, Tylenol, or even ibuprofen if you're developing fevers and aches. But those are the, really the key things, but definitely rest, good self-care should really be more than sufficient. But should you develop worsening symptoms like difficulty breathing, worsening breathing, definitely call your doctor to be advised on next steps. So that's Isolation 101. But based on our Slack channels and group texts, a lot of people have some pretty specific questions and have gotten a lot of answers from a family member or a friend of a friend who read that thing online. So to clear things up, we asked Dr. Kavita Patel to help get into the specifics. She's a primary care physician and a fellow at the Brookings Institution. I first want to ask, how long is an isolation period? And then I think a lot of people want to know if they can end that period early if they test negative or if they don't have symptoms anymore. So listen, I wish that I could tell people to end early. Unfortunately, I can't. But that's because we're still using old and outdated CDC information from pre-Omicron. So right now, What we're all telling people, and it's currently the guidelines, is that you're at least 10 days from the start of symptoms or that first positive test, at least 10 days of isolation. You need to make sure, no matter who you are and how many vaccines you've taken, that your symptoms have resolved. So for example, if you have symptoms for 20 days, that means you need to isolate while you're actively symptomatic because active symptoms, coughing, sneezing, cold type symptoms, that can affect others, even if it's been 20 days. And if someone finds out they're positive via an at-home rapid test, let's say, should they take a second test to confirm they're positive or just isolate based on that first positive result? They should isolate. I don't want them to waste a second rapid test. I think, bottom line, if you find a test and you are positive 
believe it. Don't doubt it. I know there's false positives and people talking about it, but err on the side of believing it because we are seeing this spreading like wildfire. But then to the opposite, if your test is negative, but you have symptoms, believe it. There are many instances, even with Delta, with the original Wuhan strain, where rapid tests don't always pick things up. They're not 100%. So if you've got symptoms, believe that you have COVID and treat it like that until you get a PCR. What's the best way to get groceries or supplies? Like, can people order takeout? One thing I'm happy to say is that we've learned so much since March of 2020. I was doing like a little, you know, pseudo shower in my garage and in the basement and wiping down my groceries. This is still an airborne virus. So it's really about wearing a good mask and not being in front of somebody that you could cough on by accident or, you know, spit on by accident. And so you can get groceries delivered. You can get takeout delivered. You can even feel comfortable doing curbside if you've got your mask on, having someone hand it to you. All of that is okay. Who should we be telling that we tested positive for COVID? How far back in our calendar do we need to go? Three days for sure. I will tell patients the most immediate thing you can do is go back three days, warn people they need to get tested. They might already be starting to see kind of symptoms, et cetera. And then if you really were traveling, if in the past five days you were with a bunch of people, let's say for Christmas, for Hanukkah, you should warn any large groups that you've seen in the last five days, because that's going to be the most likely place that you're giving or getting it. And I think we have to also, I'm going to say this, I even personally used to look down on people like, how can you go to like a dinner? What are you doing? That's insane. I have seen way too many people who are fully vaccinated swear up and down they're wearing masks. And this includes doctors, nurses, respiratory therapists, people who know how bad COVID is. It's just that easy to get, Alex. I am practicing no shame. Like there is just no shame. Do not feel any embarrassment about picking up the phone and saying, look, guys, I'm sick. You know, just get tested. I would 100% advise people to do that. How can people keep their roommates or their housemates safe if they're positive and isolating in their room, but they, you know, let's say have shared spaces like a kitchen or a bathroom? Yes, it's super common. I don't, I'm almost everybody I know, like, you know, very few people have like (laughs) their own wing of the house. Masks are important. Air circulation is important. Just a couple of tips, friendly tips on air circulation. Yes, if you can crack a window and it's not negative 30, like in Minnesota right now, great, do it. Something that people forget, you know those fans that like, I have a fan above my oven, I have a fan, one of those funky fans in my bathroom that's like right next to the light fixture that makes the exhaust. That actually is helpful for air circulation, believe it or not. Fans, like the ones that you just buy, like when I'm really hot and I didn't have air conditioning in my apartment and I just propped a fan, those do not help because they don't recirculate the air, they just kind of blow air. So if you're sharing space and your roommate is sick and you're trying to do what you can to stay safe, you know, have meals at different times so that someone can like take their mask off and have a meal, but you're not in the same shared space. Let them leave. You don't have to like disinfect it with Clorox, but you should wash your hands and use different plates and glasses. If you can in that shared space, pop open a window. If you're in a shared space that's got a kitchen and has one of those exhaust fans over the oven, keep that fan on 24-7. It actually makes a difference. How can people monitor their symptoms? Should they keep over-the-counter products like Advil or Gatorade on hand? Basically, like, how do you recommend someone conduct a health check of themselves in this isolation period? Yeah, great question. Best friend is a thermometer, high quality thermometer, you know, old old school under the tongue or one of those forehead thermometers that's pretty good. I'm a huge fan of Tylenol for fevers. 
more so than Advil or ibuprofen because Advil, ibuprofen, things like that can hurt your stomach. Gatorade might help some people, but honestly, good old-fashioned water is better than anything. Gatorade tends to have a lot of salt and sugar. And then in terms of measuring, the symptom check that you need is your gut. If you feel off, it's probably COVID, believe it or not. And so taking care of your fevers and hydrating is the best thing you can do. And here's what I would say about going to the emergency room. If you start developing shortness of breath, if you've got fevers, and the fevers we're seeing, Alex, these are not like 99.9, 100.2. These are fevers in the 102, 103, 104 category. I mean, these are massive break out of sweat, all the sheets kind of fevers. If you can't get that number down with fluids and Tylenol, like every six hours, I'd love for you to go call before you go because the wait times in my clinics and ERs and urgent cares is insane. But I'd love for you to get checked out. And my last question for you is, after isolating for 10 days and you don't have symptoms anymore, does someone need to get a rapid test at the end of that period or any kind of test to make sure they're not still infectious or COVID positive? No. The only reason I can think of that some people have to test is they need to test to return to work. And I know that a lot of people are going to be traveling, like 100 million Americans are going to be traveling in the next week. And I know some of you might be traveling to come back into the U.S. or to go someplace. So those are the only circumstances. But if your symptoms have resolved, it is not necessary to test because time is a better indication than a test. Dr. Patel, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. If you're in a COVID-19 isolation period, chances are you've already scanned your bookshelf to reread an old favorite. Or maybe you feel like you've already seen all that Netflix has to offer. 10 days can go by pretty slow. So if you're looking for fresh recommendations for something to watch, read, or listen to, The Skim has got you covered. Hi, I'm Sarah from The Skim's video team. I have COVID and I'm in quarantine, and I've been reading the book called Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art by James Nestor. I thought it was a good read, uh, especially while you have a virus that affects your respiratory system. Hey, I'm Kira. I'm part of The Skim's audio team and an associate producer on Skim This. So my two favorite series this year were both murder mysteries. There was The Undoing, which has Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant as this Upper East Side couple who may or may not be involved with the murder of another parent at their kid's school. And my other favorite was The Flight Attendant, which has Kaylee Cuoco as this party-hard flight attendant who wakes up next to a dead body and can't remember if she had anything to do with it or not. Hey, this is Erica from The Skims Talent Team, and I highly recommend the TV show Made on Netflix. Hey, this is Anthony from the Skimwell team, and I really want to recommend Love Life on HBO Max, seasons one and two. I thought they were such intimate, deep portrayals of like love lives, but also people's career paths, people's friendships, and kind of the way that we move through life, thinking about that one door that's closing, but not realizing that there's another one that opens up. And I think that that's really important. I'm Alicia. I'm on the audio team at The Skim, and I suggest binging or rewatching Insecure. Check out WandaVision if you haven't seen it. And if you're a sci fi person, Star Trek Discovery for sure. I'm Clem. I'm on the content team, and I highly recommend you watch Emily in Paris if you're quarantining. It's light, it's funny, it's super corny, and if you're stuck at home, there's no better way to travel to Paris virtually. Oh, and season two just came out, so get to it. 
I'm Graylin. I lead the audio team here at The Skim. And my quarantine recommendation is a little something that my household invented a couple years ago called The Feast of the Seven Pesci's, where you just marathon Joe Pesci movies. Top recommendations would be My Cousin Vinny, Casino, Goodfellas, all obviously classics, Home Alone 1 and 2, naturally, because holidays. And if you really want to go all out, Raging Bull and The Irishman also. Just add those to the list. Happy watching. Hi, I'm Niven. I'm on the content team at The Skim. And my suggestion is to watch Klaus on Netflix. I know it's not new, but I feel like it's still pretty underrated and probably the best Christmas movie that's been made in the last five years and part of the Christmas canon. My name is Andrew Calloway. I'm the audio engineer here at The Skim, and I have three recommendations for if you're stuck in quarantine. In honor of the third Magic Mike film being announced a few weeks ago, I'm recommending Magic Mike XXL, starring Channing Tatum. If you haven't seen either of them, you can just skip right to the second one. The first film, it's it's gloomy, it's moody. That's not what I want out of a male stripper movie. I want I want joy. And the thing is, Magic Mike XXL, which is the second film, is such a beautiful celebration of the female gaze. And if your boyfriend won't watch it with you, you should dump him. My second recommendation is You Must Remember This, which is a podcast about film history hosted by this amazing woman, Karina Longworth. You really learned some stuff. There's currently a series about Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr., but the best one, if you haven't listened, you need somewhere to start, Charlie Manson's Hollywood. My third recommendation is a recipe, Martha Stewart's Mac and Cheese. Now, I, if you're really sick, you know, the idea of eating a pound and a half of cheese might not sound so appealing. But, you know, for those who are less symptomatic, it'll make you feel better. With the Gruyere, a little bit of panko on top, you don't need to make your own breadcrumbs. Don't listen to her. If you eat this Mac and Cheese recipe, you're going to feel better. I promise. Happy holidays. Are you looking for ways to be happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative? Gretchen Rubin is the number one best-selling author of The Happiness Project, and every week, she shares insights and practical solutions on the Happier with Gretchen Rubin podcast. Gretchen's co-host and happiness guinea pig is her sister, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and Hollywood producer. Join Gretchen and Elizabeth as they reveal fresh insights from cutting-edge science, ancient wisdom, pop culture, and their own experiences cultivating happiness and good habits. Listen and follow Happier with Gretchen Rubin wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's get back to the show. In the spirit of seasonal honesty, when we first heard about Omicron a few weeks ago, our first thought was, oh, f***. And we might not have been the only ones with that reaction. Because according to the Wall Street Journal, we're all cursing a lot more these days. We're going to explain with a little help from The Good Place. Holy mother-forking shirt balls. According to the journal, mentions of fork, shirt, asshole, were up 41% on Facebook compared to 2019, and the use of those same words increased by 27% on Twitter. And we're not just more foul-mouthed on social media. 
The journal also spoke to CleanSpeak, a profanity filtering software program, which confirmed it's filtering out three times more curse words than it was 18 months ago. Oh, four. This probably isn't surprising to a lot of us. The last two years have been pretty stressful, and it's been scientifically proven that cursing can help relieve stress and physical pain. Not to mention, working from home has blurred our workspace and our home space, so some of us may have also relaxed how we talk, whether we meant to or not. Experts say if you've noticed your curse word count going up, that's fine with your friends, but there are plenty of people who might be less than happy if you dropped an F-bomb in front of them. Like your boss, who might not want to hear your WTF out loud. Or your colleagues, whose kids crash their Zoom meetings. Ah, fork me. If you're thinking, oh shit, have I been swearing in front of my boss this whole time? There are a ton of things you can do to cut back, like putting a dime in your own bad words jar, or asking a friend to point out every time you swear. Sounds like some of us might want to update our New Year's resolutions. Actually, f*** that shit. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Skim This through another pretty crazy year. We'll be back in 2022 with more news. Until then, happy holidays and stay safe. This podcast was skimmed by me, Alex Carr, along with our associate producer, Kira Long. Our senior audio engineer is Andrew Calloway, and Graylin Brashear is our head of audio. Skim This will be back in 2022. Until then, check out the Skim's other podcasts. 9 to 5-ish is where we talk all things career with our founders, Carly and Danielle. And Pop Cultured is our weekly deep dive into the culture stories you can't stop thinking about. Follow 9to5ish and Pop Cultured wherever you're already listening to us.